0: Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 9 tonight. Revelation chapter 9. As we come to Revelation chapter 9, several things. First of all, because we are His, as we just sung, none of what we read about or study in Revelation chapter 9, will ever happen to us. Jesus not only took our sin, past, present, and future, on Himself, on that cross, but took all the judgment that one day will be poured out on those who reject Him. We don't have to experience that. And so we need to praise the Lord for that. As we come to Revelation 9... We are going to be introduced tonight to different fallen angels, different demonic beings. In fact, this whole chapter will introduce us to three different groups, if you will, of demonic beings that are going to play a key role during the tribulation period. Now, as I shared with you, as we began our study of Revelation, we said that we were going to come at this from the uh, attitude and, and the perspective of, this is going to be about worship of God. This is going to be not so much about prophecy and the unfolding of judgment that comes on the earth, but to see the God behind it all. And I want to do the same thing tonight. As you and I are introduced to these fallen angels, let's remember several things. First of all, God, in His greatness, created these unbelievable supernatural beings. And the beings that we're going to be introduced to tonight are nothing like the angels that we probably learned about in Sunday school when we were children you see. We have to get a biblical view of angels, if you will. Secondly, let's remember that when God created the angelic realm, that He created them for two primary purposes. One, to Glorify Him and worship Him as is the case for all creation. And second, the primary purpose of angels was to serve Him in serving us. The book of Hebrews tells us that His angels, His messengers, His envoys are basically servants sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. And one day we even know incredibly that the Bible teaches as God's children, we will actually rule over the angelic realm. You see. I want you tonight as you view and are introduced to these fallen angels, even in their fallen state, even in their evil, even in their wickedness, I want you to be able to look past that to these creations of God that are just unbelievable, and even in their fallenness here, they are bringing glory to God. Because even in their fallenness, God has reserved them for a purpose. And He has a plan for them, even in His ultimate plan. And that reminds us again about the glory of God. That that nothing that he has created, in a sense, is ever wasted and purposeless. And he understands the magnificence of these supernatural beings. And and, and when we are introduced to them tonight in a fallen state, it just reminds us of the tragedy of the fall. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Because think about these creatures, these creations of God, if they would have never fallen, how they could have been used for such good rather than such evil and wickedness. But take that a step further. Think about that with human beings. The great creations of God who God created to bring glory to Him, to have a relationship with Him, and yet many Human beings down through history have pushed God away, rejected Him, and will never ever see the potential, the purpose, the design that God had created them for. They will miss out on that, just like the fallen angels are. Another thing, because we're going to go through this pretty quickly, it's pretty self-explanatory, and very honestly, This is one of those chapters that I, as a pastor, take no pleasure in teaching. I do it to be obedient to God, but I take no pleasure in this tonight at all. But I want us, as believers, to remember a couple things. I don't want us to get into this chapter and begin to somehow become intimidated by the angelic beings, these fallen angels that we're going to be introduced to tonight. First of all, we will never encounter these beings that we're being introduced to in chapter 9. And even in the spiritual warfare that the Bible talks about that we go through, we have to remember that God has placed limits even to these supernatural fallen angels, in how much influence and how much they can touch us. We see that in the book of Job, where Satan himself would not have been able to do anything to Job unless God in his sovereignty permitted it. Because again, God had a greater purpose for it. And we can always trust that. And we must always remember the verses like, Greater is He who is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, God Himself, than he who is in the world. And as great may be, and as intimidating, and as magnificent as these even fallen angels, these demonic creatures may seem in chapter 9, they are nothing compared to God Himself. God as the Creator could vanquish them in a blink of an eye if He wanted to. And there is nowhere in Scripture that it talks about, like many false religions and false cults have taught and have made part of their theology, there's nowhere where Jesus Christ ever fights with Satan. Because it wouldn't be a fight. In fact, later on, in just a couple weeks when we get to it, there's actually a chapter in Revelation that tells us that Michael, the archangel, and other angels that did not fall, did have a war. With Satan and the fallen angels. And guess who won? Michael. And the Bible says Jesus didn't even have to get involved. He didn't even have to stoop. Because that's how far above even these angels and these supernatural beings is God. Because as great as they may seem to us, as these supernatural spirit beings, compared to the God who created them, they are nothing at all. Let's remember that Paul taught us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And in that passage in Romans 8, he tells us neither powers or principalities or angels. He even lists those in that passage. You see. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It is possible to, in the power of God, to resist the devil. Stand up. Withstand his attack. We'll see in a couple weeks in our study of 1 Peter on Sunday morning. That uh, Peter writes, be sober, be alert, because your adversary, your spiritual enemy, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But even Peter says, resist him, strong in your faith. So I say all that to say that, though we're going to be introduced to some amazing creations of God, even in their fallen state unbelievable supernatural beings that have power way beyond what we can even imagine at this point, let's not be afraid or intimidated at all by these spiritual beings. Because through Christ and what Christ has done for us, we can withstand and stand against the wiles and schemes of the devil and of these demonic creatures that are allowed to in some way oppress and sometimes sort of pick on us at times. But I also want to say this. Let's not get unbalanced in our view of the spiritual realm either. Not everything that happens on earth is the devil's fault. And not every mistake that we make is because... The devil made me do it. That's not true at all. There will be times in our Christian life, seasons, where we will deal with the spiritual world. Now here's where we have to go as well. Even today, there are many people on earth that deny that there even is a spiritual world. If something cannot be explained scientifically, if something cannot be touched or whatever, then many human beings today, and even some Christians, struggle with accepting it. I'm here to tell us tonight that one of the, say, purposes of a chapter like Revelation chapter 9 is to once again make us aware that there is a spiritual world adjacent to our physical world. And even though we cannot maybe physically see it or touch it, it is always there. And that this spiritual world has great influence on the leaders of this world, on the nations of this world, on human beings as a whole, They have great influence. In fact, John says in 1 John 5, 9, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You see. So there's always that influence taking place, you see, in the world. Daniel talks a lot about this in his book. So tonight, we come to Revelation 9, the fifth And sixth, trumpet judgment during the tribulation period. And God is about ready to unleash demons upon this world and allow them reign like never before. And some may say, why would God do this? Well, again, remember, down through the Bible, one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that God in order to bring judgment and consequence to mankind, many times will give men and women exactly what they want. In a sense, that's his judgment. You want this over this? Then I'll give it to you. And now you have to suffer the consequences. So before we actually go back to verse 1, I want you to notice tonight in verse 20 of Revelation 9, that the people here who are refusing to repent, notice what it describes them as, as demon worshipers. He says, the rest of humanity who had not been killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, so that they did not stop worshiping demons. There is a growing demonic influence in the world and there is a growing fascination amongst the people of this world into the spiritual realm you've got two extremes you've got this this group over here who denies anything spiritual and all that they know is physical and then you've got this group over here who literally according to the original language kisses the hands of demons and they dabble and they they invite even if it's unconscious and unknowing by their lifestyle and by the choices they make they are allowing demonic influence further and further into their lives and so god is basically saying in revelation chapter 9 you want to you want to get up and close and personal with demons you really want to know what these demonic creatures are like that you're playing around with and that you're dabbling with and that you think is somehow you know, making you very powerful and, and very rich and, and all of this? You want that? Here they come. I will unleash them without much restraint upon the world. And the world will know, first of all, this camp will know there is a spiritual world. A world that they cannot see and touch. And this group over here that's just sort of played around, if you will, and dabbled in the occult and 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 invited demons and demonic uh, influence into their lives are going to really see what that demonic world is like. Like... Never before. Revelation 9, one. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star had fallen from the sky. Now this is a really good time too to say, you know, sometimes people get really weird in interpreting Revelation. And, and Revelation actually to me is very straightforward in its interpretation. It can be taken literally. Unless it's very clear that, that the figurative language it's being used is referring to someone or something else. And you see that clearly here. Before in our study of Revelation, we saw where the star could certainly be an asteroid, a meteor, or a comet. But notice here, this star actually is referred to by a personal pronoun just a few words over. It says, I saw a star had fallen, literally previously fallen from the sky to the earth, and he, there it is, then that means that this star is not a literal star as now we've seen. This star is a person, if you will. This star is some kind of being, if you will. And notice the Bible says he was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. He did not have the authority to this abyss. He did not have a key to this. He was given this by God. Again, because God is in control of all of this. What is this abyss? It is a deep reservoir sealed now of malevolent beings. That's what it is. There is a group of demons that have been placed in this abyss by God for millennia. We're going to talk for a minute why they're there. I promised that to you on Sunday. But I want to go on. It says, He opened the shaft of the abyss, and smoke rose out of it like smoke from a giant furnace. This was a preliminary place of incarceration for a specific group of, Of demons, you see. Well, who are they? Well, first of all, I want to remind us of this. Remember in the Gospels where Jesus is getting ready to cast out of this one individual a group of demons called Legion? And remember what they said to Jesus? They begged Him, please do not send us to where? The abyss begged him. Because they knew that formally some of their angel brethren who had fallen had went there. And when you go to the abyss, it's sealed. You're confined there until God lets you out. Keep your finger there in Revelation and go back real quickly to the book of Jude. Jude talks about these angels fallen who are in the abyss. Jude says in verse 6, the book right before Revelation, you also know that the angels who did not keep within their proper domain God's boundaries for them, if you will, but abandoned their own place of residence, he has kept in eternal chains in utter darkness, locked up for the judgment of the great day. That's referring to this group of demons that we are about to be introduced to in Revelation 9. Again, so we know who's there. Why are they there? Well, again, I don't have time to go into all this tonight. But if you study this, you will find out that these angels who have been locked up in this abyss goes all the way back to the time of Noah. Noah. And in Noah's day, there was a group of angels who decided, we're not going to stay within the boundaries God gave us. We're going outside those boundaries. And we are going to have sexual relations with women on the earth. Now I know, some of you are going, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't angels sexless? No, not really. Many people who who raise an objection think of the verse where Jesus talks about, well, there's not going to be, just like the angels in heaven, there's not going to be marriage or people aren't going to be marrying. And they go, well, that must mean that because they're spirit beings, they could never take upon the form of human beings or all of that. But these beings are very powerful. And remember, through the Bible, angels do take human form. They do. When they appeared in the Bible, most of the time, they took human form. And remember the angels that were sent to Sodom and Gomorrah? That the people of Sodom and Gomorrah actually wanted to have sex with those angels? You remember that story? I believe that these angels decided this for this reason. And I realize, I'm I'm having to condense a lot here tonight. We're going to get to this more in a couple weeks, but ever since God promised back in Genesis after the fall that He would send the Redeemer through the line of Eve all the way down, obviously, eventually to Mary, that Satan and the demonic world has tried to corrupt that line. If they can corrupt the line that the Redeemer is supposed to come, then guess what? They win. Because the Redeemer can't come. So the reason why these demons did this horrible thing, and by the way, the Bible says that the offspring of these demonic creatures and these human women were called Nephilim. They ended up being sort of these giants that were just different from anyone else on the earth. I personally believe that that's why even in mythology, mythology to some degree has some truth to it. When you think about stories like from Greek mythology of Hercules being sort of a half-God, half-man mixture. (laughs) You see? Not that these Nephilim were half-God at all. But you can understand where the seeds of that come from all the way back to this. And the reason, again, that they did this was because if they could corrupt the human race, then no Redeemer, no Savior could come. And God said, oh, you went way out of bounds. And because you went way out of bounds, and I'm now having to reduce the human race down to one family and start all over again? And you think about that. God had to go back. Not that God was ever shaking in His boots like, oh my goodness, I only got one family because God had everything under control. But I'm just saying from our perspective, God had to reduce everything back to one family and start all over again in order for the Redeemer eventually to come. So God says to these angels, that's it. Because you won't listen to me and work within the boundaries that I give you, you are going into this deep, sealed reservoir for you, and you will be shut up there until I want to let you out. Back to Revelation 9. Verse 2, The sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. Verse 3, Then out of the smoke came locusts on the earth. They were given power like that of the scorpions of the earth. And notice it says of the earth. In other words, it's reminding us the origin of these beings, these supernatural beings that come out of the abyss are not of the earth. They were told not to damage the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree. That already happened back in chapter 8. It was the judgment on creation we talked about last week. But only those people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead those who were going to be protected in the midst of judgment just like noah was in the ark the locusts were not given permission to kill them but only to torture them to vex them with grievous pains for five months and their torture was like that of a scorpion when it stings a person why five months jesus even said unless those days would be shortened nobody would be saved matthew 24:22. and these stings of a scorpion we are very familiar with here in phoenix scorpions have two kinds of toxins a hematoxin that obviously affects the flesh and then a neurotoxin that's much more dangerous That's exactly what's being described here. There's the initial pain of the sting, the hematoxin, and then there's this neurotoxin that basically is the toxin, the pain from the poison itself when it is injected. Notice in verse 6, in those days people will seek physical death. They will crave physical death, but will not be able to find it or experience it. Why? Why? Because we found out in Revelation 1, Jesus is the one who holds the keys of hell and death. He's the one who has power and authority over death and the afterlife. And no one or nothing can happen unless, again, He allows it. He says no. This isn't just to be overly cruel. This is actually part of His mercy. The reason why these people are not being permitted to die is to give them opportunity to repent and to come to God. And some will. Some will. Not all, but some. And so they cannot die. By the way, this also reminds us, death is not an escape for the unbeliever. Death is not an escape. There is an afterlife. There is an eternity without God. So even though people think sometimes that death is an escape, there is no finding release or relief apart from Jesus Christ. He's the only release and relief and freedom that we can have. Even death is not a release or freedom from those who do not have a relationship with Christ. It only sends them into a Christless eternity. Now the locusts look like horses, verse 7 equipped for battle. On their heads were something like crowns, similar to gold. He's reminding us that even in the angelic world, there are different hierarchies and ranks of even fallen angels, just like there are ranks and hierarchies of the angels who did not fall. Again, Michael, archangel, you see. They had hair long, like a woman's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates, literally in the original, a thorax, which obviously corresponds to the description of them like locusts, like iron breastplates. And the sound of their wings was like the noise of many horse-drawn chariots charging into battle. They had tails and stingers like scorpions. And their ability or power to injure people for five months is in their tail. You ever ever seen such a creature like that? Now again, as hideous and as horrific as what's going on right here, let's remember something. There was a time, thousands of years ago, somewhere in time, where God created these magnificent creatures. And what they would have been like in their unfallen state, I can only imagine. And let's not forget that even in their fallen state, they bring glory to God by the sheer creation of what they are and and who they are. And the fact that again, even in their fallen state, even as evil and wicked as they are, God is still going to use them for His purpose and for His glory one day. It shows how great God is, the God behind it all. Verse 11. Again, here's why we know that these aren't just literal animals. They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss, a leader, a commander over this deep-sealed reservoir of malevolent, malevolent beings whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon. Destruction, destroyer. That's his name. And I think John gives us both the Hebrew and Greek because both the Hebrews and Greeks will be affected by this demonic horde coming out of the abyss during the tribulation period. Verse 12. The first woe has passed but two woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a single voice coming from the horns on the great altar, the golden altar that is before God. And remember, this again ties in the prayers of the saints through the ages to what is happening on earth. We are reminded of that throughout the book of Revelation. Saying to the sixth angel, the one holding the trumpet set free the four angels who are bound at the great river euphrates folks these are not unfallen angels unfallen angels are never bound again this is another now group of fallen angels that god has bound at the great river euphrates for thousands of years until his purpose for them is about ready four angels and these four must be again of great high rank in the fallen angel hierarchy notice that they are bound at the river euphrates the cradle of life near where the garden of eden was near where the tower of babel was near where ancient babylon was near where nimrod and all of that existed and has down through the ages great significance in this part of the world and that's where they've been bound And finally, God is going to say, let them loose. Notice it says in verse 15, Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour, day, month, and year were set free to kill a third of humanity. Don't miss the fact that they have been staying bound there for thousands upon thousands of years waiting just to be set free. Can can you imagine the pent-up attitude that they would have? And yet knowing that, again, for some reason, because, again, I guess they crossed a line, God said, sorry, you're going to be stuck here until you fit into my plan. And then God releases them at just the right time. Verse 16, there's now a third group of demons. We are introduced to, in verse 16, this army of demonic cavalry that follows these four angels upon the earth and I think assists them in killing a third of humanity. The number of soldiers on horseback was 200 million, I heard their number. Literally, in the original, it's a countless number. It reminds us, okay, now think about this. Again, going back to the glory of God, If there's a countless number of demons, and the Bible tells us later on that Satan only drew a third of those angels with him, then guess how many more angels haven't fallen? You and I are going to be just blown away by the number of angels we see when we get to heaven. And I think we're also going to be blown away, especially in the unfallen state of what angels are going to look like. They're not all going to have white robes, wings, and carry a harp around. They're going to be magnificent creations of God just like you and I are, and each one unique. Each one with their own gifts, abilities, and talents that bring glory to God. Again, unfortunately for these angels, they chose to rebel and reject the design and purpose that God had for them, at least as far as their whole time alive, being here. And so God was going to reduce that to just a very short time where He could use them on the earth. How tragic that these beings that we're talking about tonight that's inflicting great judgment upon the earth, just think of the greatness and the goodness that they could have brought And think about that again, back to humanity. How many human beings could have brought such great glory and worship and and profitableness and benefit to, to humanity, but they rejected God and they rejected His purpose and they rejected the design of God for their lives and that will be lost. Just like it is for these beings that God created. The writers, it says had breastplates, verse 17, that were fiery red, dark blue, and sulfurous yellow in color. The heads of the horses looked like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. A third of humanity was killed by these three plagues, that is, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came out of their mouths. For the power of the horses resides in their mouths and in their tails because their tails are like snakes having heads that inflict all of this harm, hurt, and damage. Unbelievable creatures. Again, but don't forget, at one time, these were magnificent angels that God created. And again, even in their fallenness, you look and go, okay, they're evil. They're wicked. But my goodness, it just reminds us of just how great God is to have even created such supernatural spirit beings. Here's where we get to the saddest part for me. After all that's going on, would humanity in general turn to God and say, God, you're right. We're depraved. We were wrong. We need you and we want you in our lives. You would think after all of this. But that's not the promise of God in the Bible. He says the rest of the humanity who had not been killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. They never changed their mind concerning God. So that they did not stop worshiping demons. Think about it. These demons are doing all this. And they still would rather kiss the hand of the demon than turn to the loving Creator who made them. See, when we think that somehow, well, maybe the Bible's not really telling us the truth that man is depraved. That at our core, we are just so lost without God. And that we would never seek God, as Paul says. Apart from God drawing us. We love Him, John says, because He first loved us. And we see that depravity very starkly presented here in the book of Revelation. Then it goes on to say that they also did not repent of all the idols that they made of gold, silver, bronze, even stone and wood. Idols that cannot see her, hear or walk about. They're not even real or alive. And God is so real and so alive. Furthermore, they did not repent of their murders, of their magic spells, of their sexual immorality, or of their stealing. Now, a couple things. And I'm going to wrap this up in just a couple minutes. These are what I think, the reason why John is given these to reveal to us is these are probably the four predominant sins in the last days. And the three of them are pretty self-explanatory, but I want to go into a little bit of underneath on the the one. Murders, pretty self-explanatory. Sexual immorality, self-explanatory. Stealing, taking what's not ours, self-explanatory. The the Net Bible translates this Greek word magic spells. Your translation may have it another way. But here's what it is. It is the use of drugs. It is literally coping potions. And folks, that is the world that we live in today. We live in a world of drug use. Prescription and non-prescription. We live in a world of coping potions. We even hear about these even famous people who die stacking drugs. That's coping potions. Where they stack one drug on top of another. We just recently had a movie star who died stacking drugs. Coping potions. That's the world we live in today. A world that is drugged out. And the Bible says... They will not repent. They will not change from these things. Couple things. Would you please go to the Old Testament as we wrap this up tonight? I want to leave you with some encouragement tonight, right? I know. Well, I tried to encourage you a little bit at the beginning. I'm going to try to do it at the end. Second Kings chapter five. When we think about the spirit world. I want you to be encouraged by this. Oh, I'm sorry. 2 Kings 6. I want you to be encouraged by this. It's one of my favorite stories out of the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm just going to reduce it to this. The king of Samaria was after Elisha. He wanted Elisha, this prophet, dead. He finds out where Elisha is at. And so he sends a huge army, a great army from Syria out to surround Elisha and his attendants. Two of them. Two of them against this whole Syrian army. So notice in verse 15 of Second Kings chapter 6, the prophet's attendant got up early in the morning and when he went outside, there was an army surrounding the city along with horses and chariots. And he says to Elijah, oh no, my master, what will we do? We are surrounded and there." Forces is greater than ours. It's two of us against pretty much the whole Syrian army. Don't miss what Elisha says. He replied, Don't be afraid, for our side outnumbers them. Oh, my friends, remember that. And here's what he asked God to do. Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the hill was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God's angels, God's messengers were there to protect him from the entire Syrian army. And my friends, God sends his angels to watch over and to protect you and me too. We do not need to live in fear. Never, ever, ever. And then three other verses. Jeremiah chapter 6. the Prophet Jeremiah chapter 6. As I shared with you before, when I even study, and this has weighed heavy on me, these chapters in this book, Jeremiah chapter 6, when I take no pleasure in teaching these things, because there is a heaviness, because we know, if we truly believe in the Word of God, that these things are real, and that they are going to happen one day. It's inevitable, it's irreversible, it's part of the plan of God. And so, as wonderful as it is for those of us who know the Lord... How bad is it going to be for those who don't? And as I shared with you before, the only reason I do it is because I know, I know, I know I'm responsible before God to teach the whole Word of God. To not pick out the parts that I like, the parts that make me feel good, the parts that make you feel good, and just teach them my responsibility before God and your responsibility as a child of God is to make sure that the whole word of God gets out. And that there are going to be times in our life where as God's children, we have to see things for the reality of what they are and not sugarcoat them and not say that they're this when they're that and not tell somebody that everything's okay when everything's not okay because in the old testament one thing really got god upset with his people especially his spiritual leaders who had the responsibility of teaching his word to his people and i want you to see this just a couple of times in in jeremiah chapter 6 verse 14 notice what god says he says about His spiritual leaders who teach, They offer only superficial help for the harm My people have suffered because they keep telling My people everything will be alright, but everything is not alright. That's our responsibility. Then look over at Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11. Same thing. They offer only superficial help for the hurt my dear people have suffered. They say everything will be all right, but everything is not all right, God says. And then over to Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 10. We'll close with this Ezekiel chapter 13 and verse 10. I'm just going to read the first part of the verse saying something very similar to what God said through Jeremiah. Ezekiel 13.10, God says, This is because these spiritual leaders who teach have led My people astray, saying, All is well when things are not well. Folks, it is clear. It is clear that there are times in our lives where we would like things to be this way, but the reality is, here's what it is. And God is telling His people through the Bible that we have got to be a people strong enough in Him that when things aren't well, we don't say things are okay when they're not okay. That doesn't do us or anyone else any good. And it does us no good as pastors, as teachers of His Word in order to just get more people to come and bigger crowds so that we don't offend anybody to somehow tell people everything's going to be okay and everything's well right now when everything isn't well and isn't okay. I am sorry to say that I have come to a place in my life that if no one wants to come and hear the true Word of God, and I'm the only one, and I'm teaching myself, I will not compromise the truth of God's Word. And I won't do you any good saying to you, let's pretend like everything's okay when everything is not okay. So that's why, folks, as hard as it was for me tonight to share this, I did it anyway. And God asks all of us to do sometimes the hard thing because it's the right thing to do. Let's pray. God, you are greater than we could ever imagine. When we can when we can see greatness even in fallen angels. Even in their fallen state, when we can read about them and go, Wow, they're amazing. They're, they're just amazing creations. God it it should only remind us of the greatness of the Creator of all things. The Creator of all angels and all human beings. The Creator of all animal life and plant life. From the largest of Your creations all the way to the very smallest of Your creations, Lord, everything screams out, glory to God. Glory to God. God... We know that we were created to bring glory to You. And we pray, God, that that's what we will strive for. But we've also been introduced to a group of Your creation that chose, just like many human beings, to say no to Your plan and purpose and design for their lives. How tragic. May Revelation chapter 9 be a wake-up call even in some twisted way to us as human beings. To not let our lives pass by in the briefness that we have here on earth. Wasting time. Wasting the talents, the abilities, the calling of God that You've placed on our lives. But to more than ever, seek to bring glory to You and to, to come before You and say, God, my life is Yours. The rest of my time on earth is yours. My talents and abilities and gifts and calling and everything that you gave to me, God, I give it back to you. I offer it to you. It's yours. God, use me for your glory. And God, may we just be so much more conscious of you as we live this life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for hanging in there with me. See you next week.